3: Welcome to the program. It's a brand new week on the word to stand on for life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and we're here to take your phone calls and answer your questions, questions about the Bible, questions about what it says, what it means, how we can utilize uh, his word in the day to day circumstances that we face. I was talking with uh, Pastor Ken today and we're talking about the value of the so what? If there's no so what? If there's no way we can use the word, well, then it has very little value. The word of God is living and active, and we want to make it even more alive to all of you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. That's 340-9585. You can also call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email your questions to us, By emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can send them in via our free mobile app. That's Calvary Chapel. If you're driving around in your car, the safest way to call in is to use the KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now button and you will be connected directly to the studio. It's Monday. That means here at Calvary Chapel, we've got our men's, women's and high school age youth Bible studies. Uh, tonight, uh, Pastor Ken will be teaching the men, starting in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, Nancy Jones will be teaching the ladies. They are just about ready to wrap up Second Samuel. And Pastor Nellie will be teaching, I think, still through Genesis uh, with the high school age kids. The ladies can be watched online at CalvarySA.com. I hope you had a great uh, weekend in church we did here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, my weekend, personally, was a little... Different, um, because on Friday I uh, addressed our church about the health issues that I'm going through, um, and, and you know I don't like the attention to be diverted from the Word. I don't like the attention certainly to be diverted from Jesus. I love our church. I love the way that people love in this church, but I'm never supposed to be the focus. So uh, I wanted to get it out there so people would stop worrying and people would stop talking. Um, If anybody in this listening audience wants to hear what's going on, uh, I covered it in as much detail as I could. Dr. Peter uh, was also here with me uh, Friday night to answer any questions. And you can go to CalvarySA.com and watch the Calvary Chapel live stream feed from that particular night. Um, uh, I guess I talked about 30 minutes before I went into a Bible study, maybe 25 minutes before we went into the Bible study. Uh, there were a surprising number of questions. I just want to be transparent, let everybody know what's going on. I'm going to be okay. At least I'm pretty sure I'm going to be okay. Uh, and what I want to keep doing is serving the Lord. So uh, if you're interested, there is the information and it's out there. I would have told you on Friday, but I wanted our church to find out these things first. So appreciate your prayers. Paula would appreciate your prayers. And uh, I'll leave it at that. Okay, one more time for phone numbers, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR for your live calls and questions. Uh, I'm just told I talk for over 35 minutes. See, we pastors, we talk too much. That's to be sure. Here is my first question. It comes from AA. A pastor on in Acts chapter 20. Paul bids the elders at Ephesus goodbye for the last time. He extols them to be on the lookout for wolves in sheep's clothing. Would it be your opinion that the Roman Catholic Church, I didn't read this one before, A.A., you're going to get me in trouble again. Would it be your opinion that the Roman Catholic Church, with their priestly robes, and in parentheses, A.A. wrote, sheep's clothing, can be defined as a wolf in the same list of wolf cults like Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Church of Scientology, etc., A.A.? A couple of things. First, this passage of Scripture has always been one of the more emotional passages to me. We see Paul, after a lifetime of service, after a lifetime of investing himself, pouring himself out uh, on the people, Uh, there was a special connection with the church at Ephesus. Indeed, he was in Ephesus for three years, uh, nearly twice as long as he was in any other church. He was in Corinth for about 18 months. So it was just one of those connections emotionally and spiritually. And Ephesus was a thriving church, and he meets the elders on his way back to Jerusalem he's been told everywhere he goes that trouble and prison and hardship and even death awaits him if he goes and one of the things that the Ephesian elders tried to do was talk him out of going it's one of the episodes that proves why Paul is such a heroic figure to me every opportunity to take the easy way out was provided for him but basically he said to him look you're breaking my heart Not only am I going to go to Jerusalem, but if I die for the gospel, so be it. I die for the gospel. I know that the Holy Spirit compels me to go. So in spite of risk to his own life, he was obedient to God. He understood it was part of God's plan, whatever it was. And he was faithful to go. Well, there's a line in Acts chapter 20 that says, When they saw that they could persuade him not... It's like they took a deep breath and gave up, and they just began to cry. What an emotional scene, most of all sad because they would never see him again, and they knew it. Now, what's important to AA is a context. Because what he was talking about was wolves would spring up from within their own number. This wasn't a charge to the church at large. It wasn't a, a rant against false teaching. He was just saying, look, and this was a prophetic word. From among yourselves, wolves will spring up to devour the flock. Now, obviously, it was true in Ephesus. It is true today in churches. Men and sometimes women elevate themselves into a position where they can damage the flock of God. They're out for their own interests, not for the interests of the people. And Paul is talking to them about being on guard, watching out. So that's a very specific and prophetic application. Now, there's no way that we can apply the Roman Catholic Church uh, in their priestly robes to the situation at Ephesus. By definition, Catholicism is a religion and not a cult it's a religion with all kinds of doctrinal problems to be sure there's all kinds of false teaching there are really bad people inside the Roman Catholic Church, that is also a certainty but there are also some believers there there are also believers you know when I ask a que- answer a question like this I, I get it from both ends I get it from the people who say you're bashing Catholics I am not I also get it from the other end professing evangelicals or Protestants who say that I'm being too easy on them. If you are a Catholic, you're not saved. Neither of those things is true. In every church, God has a remnant. And in the religion of Catholicism, I hate the word religion, but that's what it is. In the religion of Catholicism, they have the right Jesus, they have the right Father, they have the right Holy Spirit, That makes them different and distinct from Mormons, and Jehovah's Witnesses, and the Church of Scientology, and Universalists, and any other aberrant group. So no, the Roman Catholic Church is not a cult by definition. It is a religious system with tons and tons of problems, but never forget A. that there are people in the Church who love Jesus, the real Jesus their doctrine is wrong but you know what we got people in my church whose doctrine is wrong their pastor here might be one of them who knows but what's important is who is Jesus are you born again and one of the really difficult things about being Catholic is that they teach that you don't need to be born again that the issue of being born again the issue of original sin is dealt with in infant baptism and that's just not correct. So, AA, I hope that answers your questions. Remember, when we are reading the Bible, read it literally. Take the historical context. Always determine what the author intended to say, what it, what his purpose was, and that'll help you get some meaning out of it. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from our email inbox from Drew. Pastor Ron, it's been reported that Hank Hanegraaff has joined the Greek Orthodox Church. Are your opinions on Greek Orthodoxy similar to Roman Catholicism? Hank has proclaimed himself to be the Bible answer man. Do you see Hank answering questions from Christians on his national platform, being swayed by his conversion? Or do you believe that Greek Orthodoxy is in agreement with all the Christian essential doctrines? Uh, Drew, we've had several questions on this over the last couple of weeks since... It was widely reported that, that Hank has joined the uh, Orthodox Church. Uh, the one thing I have to say is that if his conversion does not move his answers that he gives, then he doesn't believe it in totality. Doctrine matters. We, we are what we believe. And so doctrine matters. It matters a lot. I've watched for many, many years Hank leaving what we would call the Orthodox Christian faith. It doesn't mean he is not a believer. I don't want anybody to misunderstand that. I personally believe Hank Hanegraaff to be a born-again Christian who has just made a lot of bad choices, doctrinally, over the last ten years. I could, as I said, I repeat, I watched it sort of going in this direction. But yes, what he believes has to influence the way he answers questions. He has said in the last couple of weeks, repeatedly, that nothing that he's ever taught is different than what he believes now, but that's not possible. I do not see Orthodoxy and Catholicism as the same, only in the sense that they're both liturgical, they both rely heavily on symbols, uh, icons, they both rely heavily on tradition. And that's where the problem begins, Drew. So um, um, I happen to know some Greek Orthodox. I've got some Greek Orthodox people in my family. My uh, older son's married to a Serbian girl, and her parents are are Greek Orthodox. The problem is doctrinally. um, They're swayed more by historical tradition than they are by the Word of God. They view what's read in the Word of God through the lens of their tradition. And that's why they get lost. Their views on justification by uh, grace through faith, um, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, are what I would call aberrant. uh, But that doesn't mean they are heretical. I would not classify um, any branch of orthodoxy as as heretical. Uh, I would rather say they are problematic. But believe me, Drew, most of the people uh, who are in that church um Most of the people influenced by the Orthodox tradition are genuine believers. They're just wrong doctrinally about some things. So uh, I think in some ways that's similar to the the circumstance of some Catholics, but but in many ways, the churches themselves are different. One thing that's important to understand, you know we we see um, ISIS beheading Coptic Christians. Uh, they would be classified as Orthodox. Uh, we see... Um, just recently on Easter uh, Egyptian uh, Christians being murdered uh, for their faith by, by uh, Islam um, you know these are men and women who are risking their lives for Jesus those people who were on that beach ready to be beheaded could have saved their lives by recanting their faith in Christ they did not do that I would say that's a pretty serious commitment to the faith once and for all delivered to the saints if we are really objective I don't think as they took that stand for Jesus that having some doctrinal error is going to keep them out of heaven Jesus said if you confess me before men I will confess you before my father in heaven you talk about a pretty powerful testimony rather than save their own skin they were willing to die for their faith in Jesus Christ can I make one last appeal and this isn't to Drew who I know, Drew doesn't live here anymore but I know Drew and and I know he loves Jesus but to everybody let's stop rushing to be so judgmental about somebody else's salvation let's be loving and charitable let's worry more about what we believe and knowing why we believe it Galatians 6 says that God knows those who are his. He won't be mocked. So we don't have to fight on those hills. If somebody asks you, where are we wrong, Dr. May? Be prepared to tell them. But don't judge somebody's soul because they're doing something that isn't traditional, at least traditional here in the West. In the East, this is traditional. This is the expression of Christianity. So how about a little love, a little liberty, and a lot of confidence that Jesus knows those who are his, and he'll sort it out faithfully and fairly in the end. Thank you very much. Let's go to Livo Kelly on line one. Kelly, good to hear from you. Thanks for calling. You're on the air.
4: Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, I hope I answered this question properly, but um, this is just a personal observation in my opinion, and I just wanted to know why are... Uh, Most Jewish people like offended, or why do they seem like they separate? They want to separate themselves as much as they can from Christianity. And I will
3: listen to you on the radio. Thank you. Uh, Thanks, Kelly. Uh, Paul says that a veil covers their hearts, and that veil is only removed when they turn to Christ. Now, if you are a Jew, and let's put ourselves in their shoes for just a minute, if you are a Jew, and you're understanding you've been taught your whole life that you are God's chosen people and then a Christian comes up to you and says no you're not chosen you need to accept Jesus Christ when they've been taught from the very beginning of their lives that being Jewish is what connects them to God now obviously Kelly Jews have a lot of problems with uh, Jesus fulfilling the Messianic prophecies now we open the Bible we've turned to Christ the veil's removed but but They have issues with human sacrifice. They have issues with how could God ever die? They still are waiting for a Messiah that's going to come and rule and reign. And their lack of understanding, uh, Kelly, is no different than many professing Christians' lack of understanding of the suffering servant passages. We have a different perspective. But, but they simply don't look at the suffering servant passages. Their rabbis don't teach the suffering servant passages. It would indicate that the Messiah must first die. You know, Kelly, there's a great passage of Scripture to go to on this. It's, it's when Jesus was walking with uh, the Emmaus disciples after his resurrection. And he sort of gives them a basic Bible study primer about this very issue. So Jews who believe they are separated by God, they belong to God, uh, keeping the law, worshiping on the Sabbath, being circumcised for males, uh, is a sign that they belong to God. It's what they've been taught their whole lives. And suddenly when a Christian comes along and says, no, you have to accept Jesus, You must be born again, uh, it, it is offensive to many. And that offense is only going to be wiped away when they think they're okay, when they think they're special. That offense is only going to be wiped away when they turn and see Jesus. That's what happened to the Apostle Paul when he was Saul of Tarsus. He was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said to him when he appeared to him, it's hard to kick against the goats. Jesus has been chasing Saul of Tarsus down. And the more he ran, the harder things became. And then one day there was Jesus. It's the reason Jesus himself told Nicodemus you must be born again. Nicodemus, I'm going to paraphrase, he said, how can these things be? He said, how can a man go into his mother's womb and be born a second time? But what he meant was this, how could I have been so wrong? And we know he later came to faith. So keep sharing Jesus. Keep sharing your your Messiah and hope that he will become and pray that he will become their Messiah as well. Jesus came to save us, not from the world that we live in. He came to save us from sin. And we have to understand that and accept that, Kelly, before we can understand the glory of what has been done. Suffering servant passages are sort of the stumbling block, and yet Jesus even told us that that would be the case. So, Kelly, thanks very, very much for your call. I appreciate it, and we miss you. God bless you. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from anonymous. Um, I'll edit this just a little bit. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. Let me first thank you for being such a blessing through your radio program and Bible teaching. Thank you. Uh, I have a situation that I would like your thoughts on. I work at a place more than nine years now, and never gotten any promotions. I'm not trying to be proud. I am the most educated, most experienced and hardworking person, and I really care about the agency. I've applied for several positions that have come up, and every time I get denied with no valid reasons. Of late, I've been asked not to apply for such positions. I've done some great work here at this place. There are folks who get uh, intimidated with me in my work and have said things to harm me I'm looking at other opportunities but nothing has come up yet it's very frustrating uh, it is not fair What was you, how would you advise me to respond as a Christian is there a need for me to fight for fairness or should I just let the Lord handle it I can't afford to not have a job but coming to work every day has been too stressful um, anonymous a couple things and these are always important questions to respond in a godly way First and foremost, um, when you ask a question, why didn't I get this promotion of your supervisor? You deserve an answer. So don't be afraid and, and, and be polite, be respectful, be kind. But I would say to my boss, just like you said in this email, I would say I've applied, been here nine years. I really care about this agency. I care about the people here. I do my work well. Why? And wait for a reason. When you were asked not to apply again, ask why. If your agency has a human relations department, um, uh, go ask them for explanations, your owed explanations. Now, having said that, I have found, and this is going to be hard to explain, so please bear with me. I've found that sometimes God has us in a place that's frustrating on purpose. I've been in that place before I came here to start this church. I was in that place. But you see, the work that God was doing had nothing to do with income, had nothing to do with promotions. It it was work He was doing on me. He was teaching me to learn to be content. In every circumstance, so don't worry about fairness. We have no promise that things are going to be fair. Instead, Lord, what do you want me to do? And and anonymous, what I would, if you were here in our church and asked me this question face to face, I'd say just be sure that the next move you make is the one Jesus wants you to make. Stay where you are. Working with all of your heart is unto the Lord, regardless of how unfairly you're being treated. Be the best employee there. And then when Jesus says move, you can move. And when he says move, he'll open some doors to move. But I often find sometimes, when we're just trying to do best for ourselves, God is trying to teach us to do our best for him. Think of it this way, if you will be the best employee in the place in, a, in, a, in a, a work environment where you're not being treated fairly, where you're not being appreciated, even where you might be being taken advantage of, imagine how pleased Jesus would be with you, when your only reason for doing it is Him. And instead of focusing on what you're not getting, instead of focusing on the inherent unfairness focus on the fact that Jesus is with you at your workstation every day and as you work with all of your heart as unto him imagine his smile imagine his arm around you saying oh that's my girl or that's my guy imagine what it's like to be treated as he was treated to share in the fellowship of his sufferings I don't want to be naive here It's not fun, pretty much it stinks, but everything you do for Jesus, your reward comes from him. Who knows, maybe there's somebody there who needs to get saved. And maybe the way you deal with this adversity is what God will use to trigger their heart. It's okay with a great heart to let your requests be known to God. God, I want a promotion, or I want a new job, but I'll do the best I can where I am until you move me. And watch and see how the Lord uses you, and the greatest thing will be the change that occurs in your heart. Now, everything I've said is counterintuitive to our instincts, but that's why we have to die. we needed to be born again. Anonymous, thanks for the question. I appreciate you tuning in. 340-9585. You can hear the music. we got 30 minutes left. I'll be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. Welcome back to the second half of the Monday program. I am Pastor Ron from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. We'd love your live calls and questions. The truth is, guys, that you're a lot more interesting than I am. So it's better for the audience to hear from you than just to hear me. We would love your live calls and questions. Very quick reminder, tonight, ladies, Nancy Jones will be teaching in Second Samuel. Uh, Pastor Ken will be teaching the men uh, in Ephesians chapter 4. And Pastor Nelly is still in Genesis with his high school age youth All All of that here at seven o'clock. And of course, we've got activities in church for your kids as well. Three, four, zero, ninety five, eighty five. Here is a question from Jason. Uh, Jason says, what does lordship salvation mean? Oh, tough question because there's no simple answer. Lordship salvation was really, at least in our generation, uh, Jason, sort of um, um, the hobby horse of John MacArthur. He wrote a book um, probably now 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, um, called The Gospel According to Jesus. And his conclusion was that if Jesus isn't Lord of your life, you're not saved. His conclusion was that there's a lot of lip service Christians who come to church but aren't really saved at all. In fact, one of his uh, hypotheses was that, that half of the people that are sitting in church aren't saved. Now, I don't disagree with him on that, but it's not about just this formula called Lordship salvation. Lordship salvation is is he has to be in charge, he has to be in control from a reform perspective, which John MacArthur, of course, is coming from, is you've got to be one of the elect, one one of the chosen and if you're not you have nothing to do with it so lordship salvation simply means that Jesus is the lord of your life that means he's in charge he's in control or you're not saved that's what it means now the problems with that are many we can read the first letter especially the first letter to the corinthians and we can see it is a letter that is entirely rebuke And Paul calls the Corinthian Christians brothers and sisters, saints, he calls them, includes them in the family of God. And yet he scolds them in love, of course, but he scolds them for their carnality. No one could look at the uh, the, the letter written to the Corinthians and say this was a church that was under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, yet Paul includes them in the family of God. Almost everything about what they did continually was error, and yet Paul says they're in the family of God. Here's the problem with this concept of Lordship salvation. We put ourselves in the place of judge and jury. We see somebody who's drinking an, uh, alcohol out in public, and you call yourself a Christian. We see somebody uh, who's who lets out some foul curse words or something, we owe and you call yourself a Christian. Now We shouldn't do those things, perhaps. But who are we to judge another man's servant? That's important. It's okay to go to somebody and say, you know, you shouldn't talk like that. In fact, love compels us to do that. But if we go to somebody and say, you know, you talk like that and you're not saved, then we're putting ourselves in the place of God. And we're never to judge someone's heart. We're never to conclude whether or not somebody's really saved or not. What we do, and I think this is an important consideration, Jason, I think what we do is we conclude that we're going to treat them according to the way they're living, not according to what they're saying. And that's how we approach them in love. If somebody's living like an unbeliever, I always treat them and talk to them like an unbeliever. That doesn't mean I'm rude, it means I'm exceptionally loving. But I'm also there to tell them that you say you're one thing, you have to live it. And since you're not living it, I want you to know Jesus. I'm not judging their salvation, I'm just trying to to reintroduce them to Jesus. So that's what Lordship Salvation is, Jason, I hope that answers your question. That was a huge controversy, but enough time has passed, it's not so much a controversy uh, any longer. Let's go to Harold calling on line one. Harold, thanks for calling, it's always good to hear from you, you're on the air.
2: Sure, thanks a lot Pastor Ron. Heard your last, uh, or your comment from that guy, that, that person that sent you that email, and you know I've been for five years, in the, for um, about twenty-one years, and it's a big place. It actually, it's UTL Science Center, and the job mm-hmm. is great. You couldn't ask for a better place to work, and the money is not bad. But I tell you what, I had to learn. and It took me about ten years to learn not to take my faith off of that money and believe me it wasn't easy and just (laughs) put it in the Lord and you know family members and stuff like that and I got my church and and everything else I do but you know it's it's just the way it is you have to look at all the good things that are going on and there's a tremendous amount of good things going on at work Mm -hmm. but as far as the money is not always going to be what you want, and yeah. you know that's what I was going to say. You got to. Uh, it's a sound. It sounds ridiculous. Get your mind off the money. But I had to for my sanity. Now take my <laughs> Bible to work. You know the story, and it, yeah. it, it, it's the truth. But anyway, I'll let you go because I'm fixing to get over a bridge here, and I might lose you.
3: Okay. Okay, Harold. Thank All you right? very much. What an, what an encouraging call. You see, when, when I say something, people say, oh, what does he know about it? And I was in the world and I had those situations, but there's Harold. He calls us and he's lived through it and continues to live through it. I think sometimes we want our pride to be massaged. That's the promotion thing. We want acknowledgement. We want to be recognized. On the other hand, we want the money. Now there's nothing wrong with those if your motives are right. But what if you're one of those Christians who's just called to be a light for Jesus where you are? Now, we're all called to be a light where we are, but if we're constantly looking for something that we haven't got, if our focus is on what we're not getting instead of what we already have in Christ, then discontent is going to grow and people are going to be watching and our witness is going to be uh, ruined in the process. So, uh, Anonymous, listen to Harold. Um, Money is not as important as your sanity. Money is certainly not as important uh, as your relationship with the Lord. Um, being recognized for your talent, for your hard work, is not as important as, as your witness for Jesus. And I want to emphasize again, when you make a move, make sure it's the move Jesus wants you to make we make a move and God is doing a work in our heart and we make a move before that work is complete we're going to have the same problems at the next place we work so be grateful that you have a job get there early be there with a smile on your face be filled with joy in spite of what you get paid in spite of how others view you or treat you and do it just because Jesus is pleased because of you can you imagine the rewards in heaven so Harold I appreciate your encouragement thank you very very much Uh, here's a question from Oliver that was sent in Uh, Pastor Ron, what's the difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Him? If believing is what we must do to be saved, doesn't that mean that everyone who believes He's God is saved? Well, Oliver, this is a question that, of course, we're going through Romans here on Sundays uh, here at Calvary Chapel, and we're dealing with a lot of these very issues. Chapter 4, the study I did just yesterday, was a study about being justified by faith as our spiritual father Abraham was justified by faith. He believed God 400 years before the law was given 400 years before he was circumcised He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and people will look at that and say well I believe he's God I'm saved well, but wait a minute does he know you? That's important. We see the question in heaven, Jesus said, on that day many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, and he will say, depart from me for I never knew you. The issue in heaven is if you know about Jesus, the issue in heaven is if he knows you. Are you family or are you a stranger? And Oliver, everybody knows about Jesus. Everybody knows who he is. Everybody can repeat the mantra, he's the son of God who died for the sins of the world. But if there hasn't been a transaction that's occurred in your heart then you're not known by Him. Once He writes your name in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're His and He knows everything about you. But if all you do is give intellectual assent to the person of Jesus, how can that possibly save you? And this is an important issue because you have to know Him and be known by Him, knowing about Him. Even the demons believe, Jesus said. His enemies knew who he was. Judas, of course, knew who he was. But you have to know him. You have to let him take over your life. You see, salvation is a transaction, a business deal. Jesus gives you his perfection. He asks you to give him your filth. Once that deal is made, Jesus comes and lives in your heart. And when Jesus lives in your heart, believe me, you change. The person who knows about him doesn't really change. I hope that makes the point, Oliver. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to D calling online too. Dee, thanks for holding her on the air. Yeah, Pastor Juan? Hi Dee.
4: Hi Pastor Ron. Um, I'm hoping you can help me. Uh, this has been uh, on my mind for like the last two weeks. Um, I want to know how to pray and to get closer to God. I uh, read about how Enoch walked with God, and I keep wondering how did he do that? How did he walk with God? And um, I read my Bible every day, and I know I'm close, but it seems like I'm still missing something. So I started looking. I have a, a, a library at home, and I started looking for a particular book, and then I ran across um, the Prayer of Jabez and I started reading it but then I'm wondering what do you think about The Prayer of Jabez because uh, some of it seems like it's uh, uh, with the prosperity but I'm not <laughs> sure some of it seems like it's really helpful So, but I'm not sure how to take this book so if you can just give me an idea is, is this legitimate or uh, should I look elsewhere and I will take yeah. your answer on the uh, radio.
3: I can do that. Thank you. Thank you, Dee. God bless you. And I appreciate so much your heart for wanting to get closer to him and walk with God. It's what he died to do. Dee, it's what he died to do. He called you by name just so he could walk in the cool of the garden with you. Now, first, let me deal with the prayer of Jabez. Just throw it away. It's nonsense. It is prosperity. Name it and claim it junk. There are no formulas, period. You walk with Jesus in relationship. Now, Enoch is a wonderful example. It's always been one of my favorites because I'm a, uh, a man, you've heard me many times say, I walk with the Lord every day. And, and um, you know, that's what Enoch did. But for Enoch to walk with God, he had to turn his back on the world. Now, remember the time that he lived. This was just before the flood. And Enoch, the whole world according to Genesis, was given over completely to evil. Every thought of man's heart was only evil all the time. That's the way the world was leading up to the flood. That's why judgment had to come. And Enoch, at 65 years of age, was sent a message by God. Enoch's message was simply, you're going to have a son, you're going to name him Methuselah. Methuselah literally is a message of judgment, it means javelin thrower, dart thrower, and Enoch would have understood that that was God casting judgment on a world that was evil. And at 65 years of age, that sounds old to us, but it was just a kid back then, at 65 years of age, Enoch would look all around him and see the wickedness, and he would realize that's what God was condemning. At that moment he had a choice to make Dee, and the choice was to walk with God or walk with the world he could do both and Enoch walked with God and I'm sure there were family members and I'm sure there were others and they had some sort of relationship still but Enoch's heart was with, with the Lord and he turned his back on everything and everyone and God was so pleased that one day he just decided to take Enoch to a different place they'd walk in heaven the Bible says, any ink was no more. Now, Methuselah, of course, was the oldest man who ever lived. Demonstrating God's patience with sin. But in the year Methuselah died, that's when the flood came. 120 years before God called Noah. Start so building an ark. Judgment is coming. All of that to say this, D, If you want to get closer to Jesus, you've got to walk with him. And I don't mean physically walk, although that really is wonderful, and for me it's everything. But it means you've got to be with Him. You've got to be with Him. Let me recommend a couple of books. There's a book by Brother Lawrence called Practicing the Presence of God. He's an old um, um, figure out of church history, an old Puritan figure, and and, uh, um, that's a book that um, is, is... valuable um, another one is A.W. Tozer The Pursuit of God uh, those are paperbacks they're not expensive they're available um, I think online um, so uh, you can get them anywhere um, there's another book it's, it's, it's much more difficult to read much more scholarly but it's F.F. F. Bruce's book uh, The Heart of the Apostle Set Free it's the Apostle Paul's life story Um, And what you watch there, what you see develop, is a relationship so close, so intimate with God. I I, I read it, and I was instantly jealous of that relationship. And I purposed in my heart, D 26 years ago that I was going to walk more closely with Jesus than ever before, no matter what happened. And every day, I offer my day to Him. Everywhere I go, I, I invite him to come with me. I talk to him. People think I'm talking to myself. I, I talk to him about little things. I talk to him about big things. But the point is, I'm never—I'm never unaware of his presence. Now, unlike every other human, sometimes I'm get in a situation I forget, I get stressed out, or I get upset about something. But but because I'm aware of his presence, because I practice being with him for so long, I remember instantly, Oh God, I don't want to forget you. I want to s I wanna I wanna be with you more than I want to be with anybody else. And so I have this constant conversation going with the Lord all day long. And Paula and I together where we go Jesus is right in the middle so that's the idea it's, it's relationship and when you mix it up with books like the prayer of Jabez or other prosperity junk what you end up with is God I want to be close to you so you'll do this for me so you enlarge my tents and that's the worst possible motive Walking with Jesus requires a grateful heart. A heart focused on what he's already done. Not on what you want him to do. So, Dee, God bless you. Your heart is so pleasing to the Lord you want to get closer to him. Uh, those are good places to start. The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. It's a Christian classic. Uh, practicing the Presence, Brother Lawrence and then uh, The Heart of the Apostle Set Free by FF that's like Frank Frank Bruce Um, um, I I can't recommend those books highly enough so God bless you thank you for that and the Lord is pleased with your heart 340-9585 for your live calls and questions D I'm going to be praying for you because this is a prayer that God will answer the man or the woman who says I want to get closer I want more I'm, I'm I'm really working hard not to preach here, Dee, so bear with me. But, you know, Moses is a great example. After Moses had walked with God, after he'd seen the miracles, the power of God, after he demonstrated God's heart for the people of Israel, even after their miserable failure with the golden calf, Moses with the greatest boldness maybe ever, said to God, now show me your glory. I've seen miracles, I talk to you as a man talks to a friend face to face, when you speak I speak for you, but you know what Moses was really saying, I want more, I want more, show me your glory. And God chuckled at him and said, you can't see my glory and live. But remember what he did, to He put him in the, in the, in the cleft of a rock. As far back as you can, I'll let the backside of my glory pass by. And that changed the rest of Moses' life. Because he knew him even better. I know I said I was done earlier, D, but I couldn't help that. 3409585. Here's a question from Cheryl. Uh, Pastor Ron, can you share your testimony? What do you think of the value of testimonies in church? It seems like more time in church should be given to testimonies. Cheryl, I, I can't take the time to share my testimony. You go to calvarysa.com. uh My testimony is there, both uh, the testimony that brought me to Christ, uh, Paul 13 years of praying for me, and then the testimony of what God had done uh, here at Calvary Chapel up until that time. And I think it's a pretty compelling story. Uh, and I think there's great value of testimonies, but, but not in church. Church is a place we come to be equipped to do the work of ministry. Uh, church is a place where we teach the Bible, where we equip Christians to face the world that we live in. And that's why it can't be uh, more time given in church. I know they make us feel good. It's like reading mission. And that's why it can't be uh, more time given in church. I know they make us feel good. It's like reading missionary biographies. I love them. But you know what somebody else did and how faithful somebody else w- was doesn't help me practically. It helps me emotionally. But it doesn't help me practically. So um, I, I don't think testimonies in church are the point. Now, I get asked to speak a lot at other places. And there are a few times when somebody will say, uh, Pastor, I want you to share your testimony. And I always tell them have people that are ready to pray with people because when I share my testimony, people always get saved. So there, there's a time and a place but it can't be the center part. Go to calvaryessay.com, Cheryl, and you can hear mine if you would like to. Let's go to Mary holding on line one. We're inside four minutes. Mary, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
5: Mm -hmm. Um, How are you, Pastor Ron?
3: I'm doing well, thank you.
5: Good, good. Um, I I have a question, um, and I'll try to make it short. I have a daughter, a grown daughter, um, and we're very, very close. Very close. She's always been very sweet to me. But now her stepdaughter has had a baby, and that particular um, daughter was very mean and ugly to her. But long story short, my daughter has just kind of dropped me by the wayside. I don't get a phone call. I don't get anything from them anymore. And I'm wondering, I know we're supposed to let go of our kids, but my my question is, how do I handle with my grieving? Because I feel like I lost a daughter and a best friend, and we're both Christian women. But I'm just mm-hmm. not sure how to handle that.
3: Yeah, Mary, was, was the separation sort of insisted on by her husband?
5: No, she just no? dropped me like a hot potato. No, no. Okay. No, that, okay. that's what I'm not understanding because she and this stepdaughter hated each other, so I, I'm not understanding. She just I don't hear from her anymore, and she pretty okay. much told me she's too busy for me. So
3: Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry for the pain. I, that's a hard one. It's, it's uh, you very know, hard. It is. Yeah, well, we're inside a couple of minutes, so let me let me help you as much as I can. You're probably not going to find my answer all that comforting, but the the one thing that you can never stop doing is praying for her. Uh, stop praying for your grief let Jesus comfort you in your grief you have lost a child for all practical purposes uh, and, and that's a painful thing it is okay to grieve it is not okay to be consumed in your grief and it's sometimes in that grief we can turn that into the most fervent passionate prayer for someone um, Lord she's my daughter but she's your daughter you love her more than I do you realize what she's done has caused separation not just between us, but between you and her as well. So God, draw her to you. And Mary, what's going to need to happen is she's going to be reconciled to God. She's going to have to deal with the reasons that she's comfortable with the separation or the reasons that she uh, says she's too busy for you. And only God can touch your heart. So the best way I can communicate to you to cope with this is simply every time the pain comes on your face pray for her take a walk and beg the Lord for her uh, to come back fully to him so that you too can be reconciled for the glory of God don't give up keep on praying always be available uh, in whatever ways you have texting emailing Facebook whatever it is let her know that you're always available you miss her you love her Uh, don't try to broach the subject of why just let her know that you're always going to be there because you love her and I'll be praying Mary for you and for your daughter are such painful things well you can hear the music within the program we'll shed more time for Mary's question Um, please pray for Mary and her daughter hey you've been listening to the word to stand on for life I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas Lord willing I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock to take your phone calls and answer your questions God bless you, he loves you so much
1: thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh